Hey, welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Today, we're joined by Bear Creek Distillery co-founder, Jay Johnson. So Jay and his buddies from high school out in uh, the Denver area decided to get together and start a distillery. And Jay was probably met with some skepticism uh, from his better half when he informed her that him and his buddies, who she had known for a long time, um, we're going to start this distillery together. And I have to put myself in, in Jay's shoes, knowing that if I were to tell my wife that me and my friends that I was closest with, were going to start a distillery. Um, she would probably laugh at me and, and tell me that uh, I wasn't in fact going to be starting a distillery with those guys. Um, not that she'd be wrong, but uh, I give a lot of credit to Jay and his wife for, for that to, uh, to be able to happen. So really enjoyed this conversation. Um, the Colorado whiskey scene overall is really booming right now. And I think having a having somebody like Jay Johnson uh, be a big part of that and really be making good whiskey out of Colorado is really contributing to why that scene is booming the way it is. Uh, there's really good whiskey coming out of the state and Bear Creek is no exception to that. I was really impressed. They sent me a bottle and I loved it. It's definitely one of the places who have, um, who have sent me a bottle that I will be ordering more of it because it's just really good stuff. So I would, I would definitely suggest trying out Bear Creek. If you can order it online, I don't remember because it's been a while. I feel terrible because it's been a while since I recorded this conversation with Jay. Um, my beard was just starting to come in and now it looks amazing, but yeah, I, I would definitely recommend trying this out and uh, and seeing if you can get your hands on a bottle, especially if you're in the Colorado area. Um, this is a really good, really good whiskey. So check it out. Enjoy this episode with Jay Johnson. Uh, click the links below if you want to support the Barrel Proof Baseball podcast. Um, we've got the links to Manscaped, Walk-Offs and Whiskey, Amazon Store, uh, Patreon, a couple others. So Check it out if you want to help support the uh, the channel. Uh, if not, just pay attention to uh, people I'm talking to and go buy some of their whiskey because they're making good stuff. So, Jay Johnson, Bear Creek Distillery. Enjoy. All right. Jay Johnson, thanks so much for joining me today, man. Absolutely. All right. So uh, tell me, first and foremost, tell me a little bit about yourself uh, outside of whiskey, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. I'm a family man, um, father of three daughters. Um, surprisingly, I don't have any gray hair. Actually, I don't have any hair. It's all falling out. But um, beard. <laughs> beard, yeah. Lifelong hockey player, hockey fan. Um I've lived in, originally from New Orleans, I've lived in Colorado since 77. Um, grew up here, you know, have completely watched the city and state completely change over the last couple of decades. And Denver um, has definitely grown up a lot, sort of a cosmopolitan city. Um, married to my lovely wife, we were high school sweethearts. Uh, she, I don't know if didn't have enough energy to find someone else to put up with but she's she stayed with me and we've been married it'll be shit it'll be uh 24 years on the fourth of july so good for you that's about it um cut my bones in the booze business working behind bars 
um, waiting tables, uh, started my own business in 99. Um, I uh, owned a pest control company with my father-in-law and then sold that. Um, and we started the distillery. Um, some childhood friends of mine who, um, you know, we all sort of went and did our own things and um, kind of reconnected. And when I decided, when we decided actually that we were doing a distillery, my wife grew up with the same guys. And she's like, you're doing what? Yeah. With those with, who, guys? <laughs> with all of your money? No. So um, Bear Creek Distillery, we're based in Denver. Um, my business partners and I uh, grew up in Lakewood, which is a Western suburb right against the foothills. And we went to high school at Bear Creek High School. Um, so when we were thinking about naming our distillery, uh, we came up with a lot of really stupid <laughs> names that we might have called it. Sure. And uh, one of my business partners was like, hey, man, let's just call it Bear Creek. And, you know, um, right behind us, the, the main um, waterway, if you can even call that a waterway here in Colorado, we don't really have much in the way of like majestic rivers or anything like that. <laughs> but the one that runs through town is the South Platte. And the physical Bear Creek itself, the convergence of or the confluence of um the bear creek and the south platte are like basically right at our back door so it just all sort of worked and we called it bear creek and um none of us really came from the manufacturing of spirits background uh so it took us we incorporated in 2012 and we didn't actually get open until november of 2014 and uh in that time jeff my business partner in our head distiller he and I didn't really have much to do because we were just waiting on the city. So um, we started traveling and checking out distilleries. And um, in our conversation before uh, we started recording, he talked about Breckenridge Distillery. And of course we visited there and those guys have done a lot of great things to bring focus uh, on Colorado whiskeys. And um, so we went there and uh, of course, Peach Street, which was the first distillery in Colorado, and that's on the Western Slope. We went out there, and then we even started traveling out, out of the state. Um, Jeff took some classes at Koval in Chicago, which is highly regarded as one of the original top-notch craft distilleries, first certified organic, and first kosher distillery. And wow. he went to Wahara Bay in Wisconsin, and journeyman in Michigan. And if you ever get a chance to talk to those guys, those guys are super rad dudes from okay. journeyman. And um, you can tell them Jay says hi from Bear Creek. Okay. Uh, small community. We always see each other a couple times a year at distillers conferences. And those are dudes we always get a little blackout drunk with. So, um, so, and I went to, I had a friend of mine I went to high school with who chased a girl out to North Carolina and I hadn't talked to him in years. And Come to find out, he worked at Top of the Hill Brewery in Chapel Hill, and they started a distillery. So I kind of got a hold of him, went and spent some time out there, and it was pretty cool because we got to sort of cherry pick what we thought were cool aspects of, you know, successful distilleries and sort of implement them into sort of what our vision was. And uh, one thing, not necessarily the guys I mentioned that we visited, but it seemed to us that a lot of people um, would spend all this time developing these amazing spirits and 
have all this amazing equipment and then you sit and have their, you know, six-year-old whiskey sitting in a lawn chair mm -hmm. or, or at a, you know, a card table or something like that. So we really uh, consciously made a focus of having our taste room um, be an important focal point for our distillery, you know? So we spent a lot of time on that build out uh, in our distillery. Um, and you can see pictures of it if you visit uh, bearcreekstillery.com. We have uh, folding glass garage doors. And when you're sitting in our tasting room, you're about six feet away from our still. Wow. And it's just a big giant um, Kota copper German hybrid still. You know, that's so cool that people can actually watch uh, where their cows are being raised to coin a phrase. And, um, you know, so we have some of uh, the best cocktails in all of Denver. And that's been our focus. And we've always known that we were going to make whiskey, but we're a grain to glass distillery and we never released whiskey until it was ready so we didn't release our first whiskeys until they were two years old um we released 100 wheat and 100 rye whiskey and um a little bit different not a lot of people do 100 grain whiskeys but mm. we did and part of the um i don't know dumb luck that we've i've lived my life with and everything's seemingly turned out okay uh we've done things that other people a have decided not to or we didn't know any better and it's turned out you know really well for us so um we kind of did ran with that with our with our our uh, rye and our wheat whiskey but for instance we make 100 percent rye vodka that's not very common mm. our vodka actually, it tastes we say we call it our whiskey drinkers vodka mm -hmm. and it tastes like it almost has hints of a rye whiskey you could definitely get sort of that spicy, um, almost uh, rye bite to it, you know, and it's really good. We've actually just come out with 100% corn vodka as well. We're mm -hmm. the only um, corn vodka in Colorado that's distilled here and actually uses local corn. So, um, which we were surprised mm -hmm. I mean, because a lot of people produce a vodka, but we were kind of going yeah, after the, seems... those um, Tito's drinkers, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we did that we have 11 spirits um i'm curious my my always my like my question to guys when they're telling their story about like getting started you know is how do you how do you actually take the plunge and like make that decision again you're sitting around drinking with your buddies like yep. how we started a distillery like what goes into actually doing it like we're actually going to make this happen we're going to make the decision like it's on like let's let's really make this happen like what is that like because you have got, like you said, you were only, you owned your own business. Like you had, yeah. things were going fine. Yeah. It was, and, it was a successful business too. Yeah. And then you get this, I mean, it's an idea that, you know, obviously takes a ton of time and passion behind it. And like, how do you, how do you take that plunge and actually do that? Yeah. That's actually a really great question. Um, so it was kind of, like you said, it was sort of a novelty idea, you know, mm -hmm. totally hatched around drinking with the buddies and like oh you know and distillers back in that time they were, they weren't that common right um they had them here and so that was one of the things like and admittedly none of us were like whiskey nerds or anything like that you know it was just like hey this would be a cool idea and then we had a couple more of those wouldn't it be great type 
conversations. Sure. And then um, we set a meeting. And this was like early in 2012. We're like, all right, let's, let's brainstorm. We'll get back together. We had set a, a biweekly meeting. So we had two meetings a month. And then that sort of started to steamroll. And um, those turned into weekly meetings. And then it was those conversations turned into where should we do this? You know, because we all lived in different parts of the city. I'm way out in the suburbs. My um, business partners live in the city, you know, and mm -hmm. we decided early on that it was important for us to be in Denver and, and near a thoroughfare. And we're right off Broadway, uh, one block and Broadway and Colfax are the major two thoroughfares that split the city. And we found a property that was like reasonable, you know, you're like, wow, we can actually afford this, you know? And mm -hmm. so it went from, that's when it got real. I mean, that's when you're like, oh shit, we have, we it's own happening. a property. Yeah. Wow. And our neighborhood's completely changed now. But back in 2012, 2013, our neighborhood was not a great part of the city. Hmm. And like we had the buddy system when we took trash out because you never know it was in the alley when you went outside, you know? Oh. And um, so I think it was in our group, especially, we certainly all have different skill sets in which mm -hmm. I think is, I mean, you know, to use baseball as a metaphor, you know, you have to have people that are specifically good at certain um, things situationally in order for your team to really um, be successful. You know, sure. I'm, I'm a total people person and, you know, I like to talk. Um, I've actually learned as I've gotten older to shut up a little more often than I used to. <laughs> Being all of five foot seven, I always made sure I had really big friends, but I still ate a fist or two along the way. But yep. um so my role was pretty well defined right off the bat, you know, like I was going to be the one that introduced it to the marketplace and things like that. And Debo, our operations manager is just that. I mean, he is a numbers guy. He is really great at um, foresight and planning and forecasting. Like when we were designing this, the distillery, you know, the architect would come in and be like, all right, this is going to be here and this is going to be here. And my spatial, like, um, creativity is zero. Like, if you're trying to show it to me on blueprints, just build it because I'm going to trust you because I have no idea what that's going to become. Sure. And that was sort of like, you know, he knew. And then Jeff, um, he is, he likes to, Jeff likes just to get to work, you know, he's, he's enough of the nonsense. Let me just make this booze, put it to barrels. You two can, you know, do the rest, do all the Grind. dumb stuff that you do. Yeah. I'll just fill up whiskey barrels. So <laughs> it was uh, pretty seamless, you know, um, in the beginning. Uh, but, you know, it's like every day is, you know, I, I would say, and I was actually having this conversation with Debo the other day and, you know, sometimes like my daughters get mad at me because a lot of times people will recognize me or see my hat and eventually it turns into a conversation about whiskey or, you know, or people recognize me. And 
it just gets old for them. And so I like sometimes forget, like we've done something that's pretty fucking cool. You know, mm. we've created a brand from nothing. And um, we were talking and like, we were talking, we were going back and forth about some different things. And I said, you know, the thing that I think the best thing that's happened to me personally, I feel like this experience has just made me a better person. You know, the, the process of, of learning something new every day, because when I was doing pest control, it was, you know, it's not rocket science and, you know, I just make route lists and I was pretty much in cruise control. You know, mm -hmm. I was that suburban dad with those horrible white new balances that always had his lawn mode by 10 <laughs> o'clock on Saturday, you know, and I was always like, Mr. Let's go have fun guy, you know, mm -hmm. let's go see what's new in the city. And that, that sort of just was dormant, I guess, for a while. And then we just started this project and just dealing things with things that, you know, like learning how to talk to people in general of all walks of all industry. It just has been such a cool experience to be able to realize those things that you always knew you had, but never really brought to the forefront. Sure. Because you didn't have to. Didn't, so I yeah, learned was a lot no need. about myself. Yeah. I learned a lot about myself and, you know, when Jeff and I were in the eighth and seventh grade at Carmody middle school, I never would have pictured he would be able to um, come up with, you know, these amazing spirits that he did, you know, so it's, it's been a really cool journey in total. So you're, so you're kind of talking about like how you learn about yourself. I mean, this is a, like a huge undertaking. I mean, you're going from pest control and like you said, on cruise control, undertaking like this massive thing, starting a brand from nothing. Yeah. And not having like a background. It's not like you're coming from a lineage of distillers, you know, or people in the, the whiskey uh, industry. Like, how do you go about educating yourself to the point where you are like, you're comfortable with how the whiskey is being made? Um, obviously, like there's other moving parts to it, but I think obviously like everybody that I've ever spoken to from any sort of a craft distillery perspective, like their number one priority is making quality whiskey. So like, how yeah. do you get to that point of, you've you've learned you're learning about yourself and now you've got to learn enough to where you're confident with the quality of the product that you're putting in a bottle right you know and <laughs> my business partners randomly one time i i made some comment about the four pillars of you know what bear creek was and it was like quality ingredients and uh you know quality machinery quality people quality spirits and they always make fun of me because they're always like oh yeah the four pillars yeah 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 we got it but in essence i mean that it's true, you know, like we don't have a handmade, we don't have a homemade still, you know, not mm -hmm. that people who have a homemade still, there's anything wrong with it, but we have the top of the line German precision built still, you know, so like that in Colorado, I mean, the Eastern Plains, we grow some amazing grain, um, you know, so we have ingredients that are, are top notch. And then the reason you see a lot of distilleries in Colorado is that aging whiskey here happens quick, you know, with the extreme temperature swings, like Big fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had three feet of snow last week and then it was 75 for three days and then it was like 20 <laughs> degrees for, you know, and we don't, we don't air condition our rack room at all. So it's hot mm -hmm. it's cold. You know, that barrel is really going in and out of the wood, but I guess the bigger answer is 
you know, if you have solid foundation and solid people, you can apply that to almost any business there is. You know, we, we always tell our employees and we, we reiterate it to our customers, no one will outwork us, period. I mean, that is, it means we probably self-distributed a lot longer than distilleries our side could make, size could manage. And we kept all our sales guys because we want to make sure that all of our customers are getting the same attention that are from our distributor that we did when we were doing it ourselves, you know, um, we just hustle and um, we're committed to doing things the right way. And, you know, you see a lot of distilleries will kind of go with whichever way the trends are blowing and, you know, the, the next hot thing, Sure. you know, we are staying the course. We're going to make, great spirits that are very approachable at their price point. You know, our goal is to become at least Colorado's go-to craft brand across all of our categories. And um, recently our whiskeys have become somewhat allocated. So we know every month exactly how many bottles are going out and who's getting them, which is, you know, my, when I first started, uh, the sales program, I literally was walking into liquor stores with a silver rum and a rye vodka, you know, trying to talk these buyers into, you know, taking a chance on a new brand, mm -hmm. getting door slammed on my face. And now my sales guys, all they do is they're on their phone. Just I was like, you guys have it easy, man. You guys just have to fill orders. You don't even have to go in and make the sale anymore. But, um, you know, I just, I think just that determination, you know, and, and that, that hard work and we've never really strayed from the extremes on purpose. Um, yeah. Because people, you know, they get comfortable with what they can count on and, mm -hmm. you know, what, what they can expect. And they know if they're getting one of our bottles, it's not going to be the spiciest rye in the world. That's going to melt your teeth out. Some people love that, but we want people, I, my personal thing that I enjoy doing is people like, oh, I haven't had rum since, you know, I went to Jamaica on spring break in 1986, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm like, come to me, you we know, and I, this. yeah, I can get them back into rum, you know, mm -hmm. because our rums are super approachable and that like people say, oh, I don't like whiskey. And you're like, I bet you I have a whiskey that you will like. And mm -hmm you know, that's what we did, you know, and a lot of people really jumped on the bad wagon to make hand sanitizer. Hmm. We didn't do that. Um, we just stayed making barrels, making whiskeys. And a lot of the people had that lap lapse in production. And unfortunately they don't have the product on shelf and they've lost shelf space. Sure. But you know what happens when that happens to us, instead of one bear creek bottle <laughs> they put two bear creek bottles out you know it's so sure. i guess yeah you have to try to find the positive space yeah. in that you know but uh, yeah it, i didn't see when i started this my 14 15 year old would have been four or five and i would go out or we would all like clean and help with the distillation during the day or in the morning. 
and they would they would do it into the afternoon. I would leave um, with my orange backpack, trying to get it into stores, and then show up back at the distillery at about four thirty, and then bartend till midnight with Debo and Jeff would be our bar back, and it was oh. like that for two years. So Just plus grinding I was doing away. Festivals. Yeah, I was doing festivals on the weekends. And I would come home and my kid literally, it's not hyperbole, she would be taller because I'd realized I was like, well, I came home after she was asleep. I left before she woke up, you know, and Mm -hmm. so I certainly did have to sacrifice some of those things, you know, personally, um, because I'm actually, one of my sales guys is having a kid, but I'm the only one out of, uh, there's 11 of us right now that have kids. And so that was a sacrifice that I had to make, mm-hmm. um, you know, not saying that that sacrifice prioritizes the other sacrifices we all had to make, but for me, that's what it was. And, you know, and it was always knowing that the hard work was going to pay off. And you so, mentioned, you mentioned the grain to glass. Is that something that like you're using a lot of Colorado grains and, and materials, right? I mean, is that something that you have to go and like, you're talking about the sales in terms of trying to get your product on the, on the shelves. But I mean, is that something where you also have to go out and develop relationships with farmers and, you know, whoever is responsible for getting grains out or seeds to, to, you know, harvest the, uh, the grains and all that stuff. Like, is that something that you have to start at that grassroots you know level with, with the product? You know, um, initially it was sort of the take what you can get, mm-hmm. um, situation. Um, and, not to disparage some of our earlier suppliers because they were super great um, and were able to get us grain. But a lot of times people don't want to forge relationships with brand new distilleries or brand new companies because it is a little bit risky. I mean, unfortunately, we've lost quite a few um, during COVID that Mm -hmm. have ended up having to close. But, you know, it's kind of high risk and and it costs a lot of money. And... um, you know, so I could see where they'd be reticent or a little bit reserved when they're starting with, but now we've got some super great suppliers, uh, two sisters called the whiskey sisters from the Eastern Plains, really cool story, family farm. It's like over a hundred years old, Hmm. super successful in the respect that, um, I think it was great grandma and grandpa, you know, had the farm and then, just for instance, and I'm totally paraphrasing, uh, out of four kids, two kids worked at harm and then the two kids went to college to become professionals. Hmm. And then after every generation, you know, you had more people steer away from actually doing the, the farming to, you know, going to school and moving away from the farm. And it got to the point where the farm wasn't really viable anymore and they were going to have to sell it. And so, um, the gals, uh, they decided that they were going to approach the distilling industry and say, okay, we've got this land. What grain do you want? We'll grow it for you. Um, and that's only one story. Um, that same story is repeated over and over with different farms that are involved with different distilleries. And so it, it truly is an agro um, industry. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we use local grains and we turn those into local products that employ local people and put money back into the local economy. And, 
So yeah, that, that you definitely awesome. have to sort of cultivate those relationships. And we've been lucky. We've, we've dealt with some really great people, a lot of progressive forward-minded, like people are like, yeah, let's just do this shit and do it right. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's, that's so, you're, you're employing people in so many different levels. I think that's really cool. Um, I guess my, so my question for moving into now actually producing the whiskey is like, obviously you're, I mean, you're throwing up the straight bourbon whiskey on the, on the label. So it's aged two years. So it is your, that actual product you have is a four, I should say four on the, age yeah, this was four, yeah, this is four years. You have the four year age statement on it, but yeah, the, so the age statement is in reference to the youngest barrel in mm-hmm. the blend. So, um, you know, we've got some whiskeys now that are creeping right at that six year mark. Mm. Um, but it with the four. Yeah. So, but I really, I like the way it tastes right at that four year. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, we'll get into that tasting, but I, I really dig that. The, so when you guys are starting out, like you start with, I'm assuming you had to start with like rum and, you know, like the, the clear spirits while the whiskey's aging. I mean, you guys never sourced whiskey while you were, um, you know, selling the rum and the clear spirits. Exactly. We had, um, in the distillery, we were pretty happy with ourselves because we had like 15 different cocktails <laughs> just with, yeah. just with rum and vodka. And, yeah. it, you know, like I mentioned, it was two solid years, just like that. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so we just waited on it. And so we would fill, we're just filling up that back rack room. And we actually have a adjacent property to us that we bought a couple of years ago that we're still trying to get through the Denver building department. Um, no shout out to them. They, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, we're still waiting on that. That's going to quadruple. our barrel um capacity so you know coming up real soon the production guys are going to be going day nights to fill up that that other rack space with whiskey and then hopefully you'll see it in arizona yeah Um, yeah arizona california you know even we have some buddies you mentioned albuquerque earlier we have some guys that um started a distillery in albuquerque called um safe house distilling and it's in an old bank Wow. Right in downtown Albuquerque. So yeah, it's there's a, a vib- vibrant scene down there too. Yeah. It's, I was going to say that there's, despite probably some safety concerns overall, um, there's a really cool scene with the breweries and the coffee, uh, coffee shops out there. So I think a, a couple of distilleries would definitely tie that all in. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Um, now when you're, when you're aging your, your barrel, so once you, you know, you get them made and everything. And like I said, this was, I mean, they're going at least two years and yep. this one's the four with, with a blend of some six. Are you, as you put them into the barrels, are they like, are, do you predetermine that you're going to let this one sit for four years or you're going to let this one sit for six or, or you want to like start thinking about aging something and having a 10 year old bottle or something like that, or is it just taste it? And when you guys deem it's ready to go, we're going to put it in a bottle and do it. Yeah, so certainly with the um, the rye and the wheat, and like we were like bourbon, 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 bourbon. Mm-hmm. But we also made some wheat. We also made some rye. Um, the straight bourbon's always been in fifty-three gallon barrels, mm-hmm. but we do some rye and wheat uh, in thirty-gallon barrels. So okay. we get those just right at two years because um, then that's like their sweet spot in those thirty-gallon barrels, and those. We just 
thought that bourbon was going to be our thing. And then the rye and the wheat, and then even our wheat at bourbon started garnering their own following. And we didn't forecast properly. And we started really running short on those two products. Hmm. So the trick has been for Jeff to set, sort of balance um, the barrel production to sort of match demand. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, there's definitely some barrels in there you know, that are in the middle of the stacks that are four barrels high, you know, that mm. will probably be there. But those guys are back there constantly weighing barrels, tasting barrels, because we we have a lot more angel share up here at a mile high. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes you have to grab a barrel because it's lost 50%. Mm. You know, typically it's not never anywhere near that high, but it has happened that you're like, oh shit, if we're going to have any usable whiskey out of this, we got to pull this off the rack. Um, but we have, and part of that was too, when we first started, it was really hard to get barrels. Um, the demand for barrels was way, way up because you had a lot of people starting to distill and you had not very many cooperages. I mean, and people, right. and that's the other thing with the demand for whiskey and stuff like that, you've the actually barrels. got people that are starting cooperages, you know, which is super cool. And we've sourced some great barrels over the last probably five, six years that we're not losing near the, um, the angel share that we were. So um, when, that when sort you, of mitigates that, but we definitely have a plan. When, um, when you lose that kind of like that, that amount, that volume to the angel share, what kind of proof does that wind up at? So, you know, we put that stuff in the barrel at 120, mm -hmm. And then, so just guesstimation without having any firsthand knowledge of like what those actually were. I'd probably say in the low one thirties, mm -hmm. we have a cast strength rum program that we run. Um, mm. It's a, it's a guest barrel program. Cause when we first started filling used bourbon barrels with our rum, we didn't have any bourbon. So we sourced uh, barrels from all over the country and so each batch of this cash strength rum is a little bit different, but same thing. We'll put that in there at 120. And I think that last batch of cash strength rum was in the barrel for three and a half, if not almost four years. Oh, wow. And it was 137. And it, it was really good juice. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was great, but yeah, no, definitely the proof certainly would have gone up on those. Now I noticed one of the, so you guys have a weeded bourbon, right? And then a weeded, a wheat, oh, is it a wheat whiskey or a weeded whiskey? So here's our weeded bourbon. Mm -hmm. So same mash bill as our straight bourbon, but instead of rye, it's just flipping that switched out for a wheat. Mm -hmm. But our wheat whiskey, I should have brought them all down here, but I'm at home. Distillery is just way too loud when they're doing production. I bet. Wi-Fi at the office is wonky, so I came down here. But um, our wheat whiskey is 100% wheat. Oh wow. Yeah, so it's got this really, you know, I was wheat's kind of a non-competer in the barrel. Like, wheat's never going to be your flavor forward in any blend. But mm -hmm. when it's on its own, it kind of develops its unique character. And I kind of liken it to like a wheat beer, right? A little bit soft. Yeah. A little bit on the sweet side. And um, our wheat whiskey, super bready flavor, really nice. Um got a good burn on it um and then it finishes with some baking spice so hmm. yeah that one actually out of all of our whiskeys 
um, that's sort of our little whiskey that could, because when we released it, you know, people were like, what? This yeah. is stupid. We're not drinking this. And then um, it's really kind of got its own little lane that it's developed for itself. And even that has become somewhat allocated. Uh, but I, that's what, out of our whiskeys, I mean, I'm drinking straight bourbon with you. Um, that's my, my favorite. I'm, I'm curious, I guess, because like, as you tell your, as you tell your story, obviously it's, it's really cool how, like you said, you started ground up, you know, from in every aspect of it, you know, and then the, the patience that you have to have, I think to age bourbon is something probably most people don't have because <laughs> they want to jump on it right away. And, and I can see where people would want to rush it, you know, right away when it's not necessarily ready and it's not, you know, at its optimal point to go out, you know? And so I think that yeah. it, it's probably not a very easy thing to do, but there's so many, like you were talking about earlier about all the distilleries that are popping up throughout Colorado, you know, and you were talking about like your distribution being in Colorado and trying to expand or wanting to expand, but like, especially being in Colorado, like, what is that? What is it like? What's the challenges like for you guys in terms of where you're at right now? Obviously, like you're trying to grow the brand more and more as good as it is, like you're in a very crowded space of you yeah. know, new distilleries pop up. Like, what is that like? What are those challenges? And like, what do you guys, how do you rely on, you know, like social media or whatever to, to try and grow yeah. your brand? Social media is huge for us. Um, yeah. You know, print media, in my opinion, it probably has an expiration date that's Quickly a approaching. lot sooner than they probably would be happy having it. But, yeah. you know, and that's where the human element in, in, in uh, building a brand and a whiskey brand, you know, that's where the hard work for my sales guys start to pay off, you know, because you can go right into a liquor store and talk to that, to that buyer. And it's crazy how many guys that I met when I was doing all the sales myself that were just guys stocking the shelves that I'd strike up conversations with, you know, just being, being buds. And then, now those guys are general managers 10 years later, mm -hmm. they're heads of spirits departments. And, you know, those guys remember those daily interactions that we would have, you know, or, you know, we bring a pizza in, you know, because like I mentioned, I think before we even started recording it, it is a crowded market and we have some really amazing whiskeys here and it's just, you know, it's hit or miss too, because I talked to a lot of my, my counterparts in other distilleries and they're like, man, I was talking to so-and-so over at such and such store and he won't give me the time of day. And you're like, really? That's like my best account. That guy's awesome. <laughs> you know? And it's just, you never know. Relationships. Just, yeah. It just might not click for that particular guy. So I think, you know, when you have some corporate machine that's pushing a brand, you know, mm. you, you miss out a lot of, on that interpersonal, you know, communication. So I'd say that is a huge strength for us. Mm -hmm. And that's how we've been able to, to build the bonds. And, you know, we're, we're starting over in a certain element of our business too, because we lost almost 40% of our business because restaurants and bars essentially closed down for oh, last year, sure. you know? And so a lot of these places we had great, relationships with you know 
they would put our bottle on the back bar and, you know, to support local might be a little bit more expensive than let's say our bottle of rum for us wholesale. They could buy it for $16. They can get a bottle of Admiral Nelson's for $4, you know? And so as these, um, as these places start opening up, you know, we've got to respect the fact that they have to be able to get back on their feet too, you know? So that's, that's like a bullet that we're willing to bite when everybody starts rocking and rolling again, you know, I mean, I think we're going to have a repeat of, of the roaring twenties of the 1920s, you know, sure, because sure. people are like, man, let's get out there. Let's revive the economy. Let's yeah. spend some money. And they come back. yeah. So, I mean, that it's almost like we're having to start over and you know, that's what I tell my guys all the time. I'm like you guys, you know, I know you're probably frustrated right now because a lot of these places aren't putting the orders in like they used to, but on the flip side of the coin, everybody was drinking a shit ton at home. Mm -hmm. So all of our numbers in the stores were doing great. And we sold a bunch of single barrels towards the end of the year. And it just, you know, so we've been, we've been lucky in that aspect. I think one of the coolest things you've mentioned it a couple of times now, and I've heard it from so many people that like when they talk about other distilleries, you don't have people in the whiskey industry bashing on other people that are trying to do the same thing. It's like, you know, you're competing with them for the sake of, are you going to pick up, you know, our bottle or your bottle, you know, but at the same time, like, it's like, everybody's out there trying to do the same thing. Everyone's trying to put out a good product. You're going to like, it's just because they buy your bottle doesn't mean they're always only going to buy yours. But I think it's really cool how it seems like a, seems like a genuine community of people that are trying to do the same thing. I think that's awesome. Well, you know, and like everybody I mentioned, um, when I was telling the start of our story, you know, those guys, they, they let us come in and pick their brains and, mm-hmm. you know, do our thing, you know? So I feel like it's our responsibility now to sort of pass that down. You Pay know? it forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had almost every distillery that's opened after us, people have come up to me and they're like, do you know how many times I was in your tasting room when we were designing our tasting room? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I recognize the face, man. And that's, um, that's a compliment, right? Sure. So, yeah, yeah you, if we can help launch, you know, and that's the thing. I I don't want um, someone to go in the store and buy a really shitty whiskey mm-hmm. that's made in Colorado, you know? And then that person's like, I don't ever, ever want to buy another Colorado whiskey because that's bad for everybody. But... Um, on the flip side of that, I hate people. Well, let's just leave it at that. I hate people. No. Um, <laughs> period. Period. <laughs> blanket statement. Uh, That's all. It's a comment. All the time, people are like, oh, your whiskey is great for a young whiskey. Uh, it's like, you just told me everything I need to know. Um, you could have a really great four-year-old whiskey, and you could have a really terrible 12-year-old whiskey. I mean, it's just, it, it's just, you know, it's marketing that I think have re- has really steered people in the wrong direction. And I think the other thing too, that ultimately is going to hurt whiskey as a, as a skew is just all this collectible whiskey stuff. And just for instance, here in Colorado right now, there's three different distilleries that are all selling the same seven-year-old MGP whiskey. <laughs> and probably at different prices too. 
oh my gosh it runs the gamut from like 29 to like 69 it's the same it's probably the exact same juice too same juice it's absurd same juice and here too especially and you know and i tried to only drink whiskey that's made by people that you know that the label the label says it's distilled and bottled by mm-hmm. um just because i like to support people that are, are doing that mm-hmm. um but here especially it's happened and you've seen it happen people will buy barrels with the thought of oh we're gonna start we'll make our own and then blend it together and everything will be hunky-dory well, rarely can you replicate a whiskey at 52,080 feet and you can at one at nearly sea level, you know, with a completely different climate. Yeah. And so what happens is you develop a customer base. And then when you switch to your own stuff, people are like, ew, what Thumbs happened down. to their whiskey? Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen it more times than I can count. Mm-hmm. So I, if you really, I mean, I think it's a more genuine way to do it. Yeah. I understand why people, because we, you know, you talked about here just yeah. a few minutes ago where you're sitting watching those bourbon barrels just basically burning money yeah. um, in your rack house. And you're like, oh boy, if I bought 12 barrels mm-hmm. from so and so distillery and put these in a bottle, I've got 40 grand, you know, mm-hmm. 40 grand sitting in my pocket or, or whatever it was. It's just an arbitrary number. But yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. There's definitely different schools of thought, but yeah. like I said, we've just stayed the course and we're doing the things we're going to do um, to create the best whiskey that we can. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I fully get why you would need to use an MGP as you're starting out. But again, like you said, there's the fun is the story of it. And, you know, like, again, you can't replicate something that is made in Indiana now that you're in Denver. <laughs> it's just not the yeah. same you know, or, or even worse, like other places that may not have the fluctuations that Kentucky does or the humidity that Kentucky does. Now you're in a drier climate without the ups and downs. And it's like, those aren't even going to be remotely close. Yep. And then when you start hearing that it's the same exact sourced whiskey and you're going, I just paid $70 for that, but this one's 22 bucks and it's the same thing. It's crazy. Yep. And if I hear that I come from a long line of moonshiners again, <laughs> I'm just gonna punch someone in the face. No, you they're didn't. Not, Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the whiskey's nope. loosened in my tongue a little bit. Hey, I'm with you. I like it. Um, all right, so tell me a little bit more about this this straight bourbon. So, um, like, take me do some some tasting notes, like the mash bill. You know, I don't want it to it's something proprietary, but I mean, obviously, there's some rye in here, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm 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 happy to give the percentages. It's not, it's not the Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can you still see me? Yes. Yeah, you're good. Um, I thought I had more charge in my phone. Um, it's it's not like super magical mash biller. It's 75% corn. It's 15% rye and it's 10% malted barley. Mm-hmm. So it, that rye definitely pops in that thing. Yeah, it definitely adds like a nice spice to it. It lingers on the tongue. It's got a nice long finish. Yeah, so... Um, that one there has some, hold this up there. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. That has, so the malted barley in that one, I think probably due to the age came from Breeze in, Mm -hmm. um, in Wisconsin and those guys, I mean, they ton of grain for breweries and stuff like that. Even like 
I don't know, they even probably have food grade malt. Um, wow. The rye and the corn on that probably came right across the border in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Still considered local. Um, there's a, it's, it comes from a co-op and a couple of farms um, were on the Colorado side. Uh, but we've made a conscious effort in the last probably three or four years to focus on Colorado grains. But, you know, a lot of that too was, you know, we, we got what we got and mm-hmm. made the best product we could with it. Um, and as you become a little more successful, you can be a little bit more discretionary on where you're getting your, your supplies mm-hmm. for sure. So, okay. So you've got, so the, the straight bourbon, the weeded yeah. bourbon, the weeded whiskey, uh, rye, rye whiskey. Rye whiskey. Yeah. And then this one was one that was super cool that I wish we could have done again. Oh, wow. This was our Yeti whiskey. Uh-huh. Um, this was a collaboration with Great Divide mm-hmm. Brewing Company, super big beer company based here mm-hmm. in Colorado. Um, they were letting us age our rye whiskey in their Imperial Stout barrels. And, but they also had it going on with, um, they had the castmates program with Jameson. And oh, Pernod that's Ricard, where it came from. Yeah, Pernod Ricard caught wind of our collaboration and they're like, you guys can't do this. And that was after the first year. And um, one of the owners over there was cool enough. He's like, look, it's totally local release. You know, it's only one barrel. So we did it again, developed that super cool label. And then um, it started, it went like hyper collectible and um, a bunch, like the whiskey advocate wrote about it, I think. And they were like, all right, you're not doing that anymore. Um, Too mainstream. on the clear side, we do a silver rum, and then we do a spiced rum, which is a naturally infused uh, silver rum that becomes our spiced rum. The cash strength rum that I talked about, which is our bourbon barrel, bourbon barrel aged rum. Um, we do 100% wheat whiskey. I'm sorry, 100% wheat vodka, mm-hmm. and then 100% rye vodka. Kind of match what we did with those other two whiskeys. And then we just launched our 100% corn vodka. So. Nice. With our tasting room and the way the licensure works, um, we're free to make cocktails, uh, but we can only use our own liquor. So if we want to have a comprehensive, you know, mixology program, we kind of went all over the board to to be able to really sort of supply the mixology um, component with the different spirits that we make. And, and you said distribution-wise, you guys are pretty much just in Colorado, right? Yeah, we're in about 800 placements in the state. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, for for Colorado, we're doing well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's hard to introduce a clear spirit to a new market. Um, so, we're going to sort of piggyback that on the availability of our whiskeys as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when we move those out of state, we've had, you know, we get inquiries all the time about moving out of state and no one is more upset about the fact that we don't have the whiskey to do it than us. Yeah. And um, so we're moving towards that and it's, it's all really contingent on that rack house being ready to rock and roll. But and it then, also seems like if you're going to be a, a Colorado whiskey, like you want to make sure Colorado's covered, right? Yeah. And that's I mean, another thing that I've seen happen too is, I mean, it's always been, it's even in our business plan and it's in the section that says, you know, take care of your own backyard. Mm-hmm. A lot of distilleries will overextend themselves. 
and then you won't even be able to find it in, in your home your state. Own state. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's another sort of uh, cautionary tale, if you mm -hmm. will, that we see happen all the time. Yeah. So definitely want to make sure that we're taking care of our own backyard and, and um, making sure that we are able to uh, keep everybody with the good juice. Yeah. Um, and you were, you were talking a little bit earlier about the distillery itself and, and uh, you know, you can make the cocktails there. What are you guys doing right now? Open to the public um, tours, anything like that? So we're open uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's an abbreviated schedule. And all of our social media definitely has, it does change occasionally. So we keep that updated there. We're only doing tours on Saturdays at 2.30. We had a, it's Friday, Saturdays and Sundays, but just paying heed to, um, you know, COVID mandates and things like that, um, just to not have a whole bunch of people in there. Uh, we're only running a tour of eight through there once a week. Um, with that being said, it sells out. Uh, it's, uh, I just had all of the tour guides from Stranahan's came down and I gave them a private tour and then we're getting ready to go over there and do the same thing. You know, like nice. you said, the, the brotherhood and the oh, sisterhood. community. Yeah. The community of it all. Um, but we do when it's nice out, since we're not really doing festivals right now, we have three festival tents that we set up as an outdoor patio. Um, so you get a nice view of all the construction of the condos that are going up around our property now. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, it's a backhoe. So it's, uh, but people love it, man. They come and sit right out in that parking lot and drink whiskey all day long. It's great. It's what it should be. Oh, absolutely. It, I got a that, couple, the, a, a couple sorry, guys go I'm close, a couple guys I'm close with live out in that area. So I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to send them over there and, and go check it out. Yeah. I think they'd love tell it. Them ask, tell them to ask for me. Oh, well, I think I'd be happy it. to give them a tour, show them all okay. the, like, where we found like burned couches and broken windows yeah. and stuff like that. It'd be a lot of fun. That sounds like fun. All right, I got, I got one more non whiskey question for you. All right. You were, you'd mentioned your, uh, your daughters played softball. I'm yes. intrigued. What is the, what is the world of competitive softball like from a parent's perspective? Dude, cutthroat as fuck. Just like I'm sure baseball Insanity. is too. Mm -hmm. Like, so my daughter, I wouldn't consider her a team hopper. Mm -hmm. But from four years old to 18, she played on six softball teams. And I, you know, that's like, we know girls that played on a different team every single season. Wow. And yeah, she was, her club team was, it's funny though. Like we have a very abbreviated season here um, mm -hmm. because we get snow and like where we were badass for Colorado. And then we'd go to Florida and just get boat raced <laughs> by like, <laughs> Teams from Florida, yeah. Arizona, of course, California, like you would play, I think like the Batbusters, they've moved into Colorado. Like, and that's the thing that's different now. Like mm -hmm. you've got these huge like softball conglomerates that are moving into the state that were never here before, like the bombers and the Batbusters and sure. the stars and all these other teams. Um, but you know, I personally didn't play the game. I played hockey and um my daughter was four years old out of the blue said, I want to play baseball. And my wife and I are both like, uh, what? And so she played two seasons of T-ball with the boys and then moved into softball. And even my youngest is a hockey player now. And 
my one true love from a spectator standpoint is softball. It's just a fast game. It's just, you know, the people that we met, the experiences that we got to have, it was awesome. And I miss it dearly. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see where, uh, it's the competitiveness and as early as the competition aspect is starting now is, is pretty crazy. Um, but it is, it's man, when you start watching softball, start being played at a, at a better level, it's, it's really good. I mean, it's fast. It's fun. Like there's guys, guys, I think, see it, you know, you always see the video of like the baseball players wanting to hit off the softball pitcher. It's like, dude, you yeah. don't even have a chance. Well, I you was like, no it was chance. Jenny Finch, right? And, yeah. um, like they, Pujols or Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just carving them up. Yeah, it's a different world out there, man. <laughs> one of the, it was, I think Emma was probably like 14 or 15. And one of the, co- the her head coach had just gotten tired of hearing all the pan- the parents just chatter, you know, like, yeah. you should do this and you should do that. But he all made us line up, get in the box and try to hit the pitcher. <laughs> and the rest of the season, not a parent said a word. Nothing. We're done. Nothing. I, I yeah. think one dad actually put the bat on the ball and that was it. Yeah. yeah. But it, it looks was, easier like, than it is. Oh, for sure. And it, it was super <laughs> cool because like, like I mentioned, I, we talked before, like my daughter sort of found catching because she was on teams. Um, we like to call it daddy ball. I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. that term. Oh yeah. So if you're not dad's kid or dad's buddy, you know, you're sitting on the bench and she basically, she finally was like, wanted to get into the game. So she started at catcher and, you know, wasn't great. And, you know, everything's always the catcher's fault and it's a really tough position to play. And, um, she started, I think she was probably 15 or 16. She's not a tall kid, but when she was much younger, she did, um, gymnastics, which was her true love, but she had scoliosis. So we had to quit. So she, focused on softball but she was strong as an ox yeah like five foot four but just strong and about 15 she just started jacking homers and there's no better feeling as a parent as your kids the one that everybody knows don't pitch to that yeah because she's she's going to put it out of the park yeah and so it was uh that was a lot of fun to watch that's great man that sounds like a blast it was cool we had it was a good ride for the softball um, where can, where can people find you guys on social media? So, uh, Facebook, we're just Bear Creek Distillery. Okay. Same for Instagram, uh, Twitter, we're at still Bear Creek, but I don't know that anything's been posted there in yeah. a while. Uh, just IG and Facebook mostly. And then, okay. um, our, uh, website is, is Bear Creek Distillery.com. Um, okay. we do. I know some states don't allow shipping into their states and that's sort of what we're waiting for. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of parity with the wine industry with us being able to ship direct to consumer. And so hopefully that, and there's light at the end of the tunnel on that. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, surprisingly enough, it's distributors that are fighting that legislation because mm-hmm. we essentially would be able to ship to any Anywhere. state that allows it. Um, and that would just become, you know, probably three guys job in the back yeah. to box up stuff and ship it out. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of hoping for that, but total wine, um, I'm sorry, total beverage here. Um, they ship for us quite a bit. 
Okay. Uh, people can contact them at, at totalbeverage.com. Um, Davidson's Wine and Spirits. That's another one. Um, they do some shipping. Uh, but those guys right now, I mean, it's a good time to own a liquor store in Colorado uh, because you had sort of a captive audience and, um, you know, some grocery stores, you're allowed to hold five liquor licenses in Colorado now as of three mm. years ago. So some big box stores like your targets and yeah. uh, Kroger and things like that have started selling beer, wine, and spirits. Um, mm. But if you really want a knowledgeable salesperson, you know, you want to go to some of these other stores. I mean, those guys know what they're talking about. Sure. And you know, you can go in there and say, Hey, I'm really into space side scotches. Can, but I, my, my um, budget, I can't buy anything over 50 bucks. Can you lead mm -hmm. me in the right direction? You're not going to get that, those other stores, but you know, so the pandemic has been good for those guys about. Um, and good for it. Um, but you know, that being said, you can find us in Costco and Sam's club too, but <laughs> you know, it, 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 you just gotta, gotta keep your, it's funny. It's remember one of the guys, one of my very first, actually it was my very first sale. And I went in and, uh, you know, Hey, hi, I'm with Bear Creek. I didn't even know what I was doing. And he's like, yeah, I'll buy your spirits. But the day it lands on the floor at Costco, I'm, I'm not carrying you guys wow. anymore. Wow. But he and I are still buddies and he still carries it. That's, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's best he's like, good worlds. for you. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to do that. But, um, yeah, and keep an eye out uh, just at your local market. I'd say give us two years and mm -hmm. you'll start seeing us probably push out um, past the Four Corners region. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, we're stoked. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I can't wait for you to get down here to Arizona, man. Yeah, definitely. Next time I come down, um, we're supposed to go down in May. We have some friends in Gilbert. Yeah. Um, we're going to go stay with them, but um, nice. I'd love to hang out and have a beer in person. Well, yeah. A whiskey probably won't be more probably, proper. Probably whiskey. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> That'd let's be great. Do it. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. I of wish course. you guys the best of luck. My pleasure, my man. Cool. Take care. Talk soon. Thanks so much.